Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cook to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for supports and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all we can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona in for PJ today. How's everybody today? Lovely day out there this morning. And of course, it's World Book Day. So I hope all the kids went off to school all right this morning. And I have the greatest sympathy for all the parents who were racing around the place last night trying to find a costume like myself. Uh, Coming up on the show today, we're going to be... um, Talking to a lady, a Cork woman, who's written about her experiences of being in a same-sex family, and it's a fascinating story. We're also going to be speaking to a mother of a girl, an eight-year-old girl from Cork, who has narcolepsy. It follows on from our discussion the other day on the show about rare diseases, and we were contacted by this family, and their daughter is the only one of her age with this condition in Munster. So we'll be catching up with there. And we've also all heard of how overuse of technology can stress us out, but what about trying to change our skill sets. We'll be hearing more about that later on in the show as well. Now, of course, today does mark the first week of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and we've been covering that quite extensively on the show here all week and we've seen so much, um, you know, support for the Ukrainian people from people here in Cork, so many different collections that we've had here and there's been a massive outpouring of love and support from the people of Cork. Just to remind everybody that we are still playing the cash cow giveaway all of this week and the you can stay listening on the Corks 96 FM or you can head to Mahan Point Shopping Centre for more chances to claim the cash. Take a selfie with the Corks 96 FM cash cow at Mahan Point. Post it on Instagram, tag, tag Corks 96 FM and you could be a winner. The Corks 96 FM cash cow with Mahan Point. Catch a movie, explore over 60 stores and shop till the cows come home on Thursdays and Fridays. See mahanpointsc.ie only on Corks 96 FM. Now I've been catching up with Sandy Harrington. She's down in Bandon and has been telling me about a collection they have there. So Sandy, you contacted the show yesterday in relation to a, a drop-off point in Bandon for people who want to help the Ukrainian people. Yes, we did. 
So this really started off last weekend with Cracked Cafe in Bandon. Um, the two boys that own it, the two men I should say, are uh, Polish. So they found it very close to home when mm. this conflict, um, when the invasion started really. So they put it out that they were going to start doing what they could and if anybody wants to contribute. Um, and it took off. The Half the restaurant was taken over with stuff by Sunday evening. It was mm. absolutely insane. Uh, then what happened was the Grey Heron next door um, offered some uh, storage space upstairs, so everything got moved up there and Monday came around, so we were talking and planning and people were getting in contact and I was like, okay guys, I was like, do you, do you want some help with this? And they were like, yeah, let's see how it goes. And people just started coming out of the woodwork. Truck drivers, uh, Christy Lucy uh, Transport provided a truck and a trailer, 26 pallets can go on it. Uh, Noel and Tracy parked the team down in Crack with Aldana and Justina, who are um, Lavamir and Rafael's wives um, that own the restaurant, have just been working tirelessly all week. And do you need any other supplies now? Or are you... uh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're just after, literally, I'm down here today and we got the keys this morning um, and the place is full, so we've just, uh, I'd say we've got two pallets filled at the moment. Um, and what we are collecting, and I'm just going to grab the list so I don't forget anything, is um, so food products, baby food, nappies, wipes, medical items are a really big um, a big need that they have over there. Uh, doctors are feeding back information that they need Israeli bandages and tourniquets. Um, so that's quite worrying because they're they're battle dressing basically. So mm. they're under severe pressure. Also hearing um, that mobile ultrasound units are needed for both trauma and for maternity care. Um, but they need to be mobile because the hospitals are being being hit at the moment, which is really worrying. Um, so we're doing everything from male, female, children's hygiene products, geriatric care. Um, you know, a lot of old people are going to be displaced and, and need care. Mm. Bedding, animal products. We've we've all seen, you know, the beautiful pictures of, of cats under flat jackets and uh, in the subways and whatnot with their mm. owners. So, you know, can't forget the animals. And so, what's the plan then, Sandy? You're going to bring, uh, you're you're packing up all of this stuff now in, onto pallets, yeah. and um, are the lads driving off with it then on Friday? Is it Friday? Yeah. So as of yesterday morning, there was uh, a truck on offer, but no plan for when it was leaving. Mm-hmm. We knew we were able to get on a truck another two weeks' time, um, and it's just three o'clock. We were like, right, we're booked on the ferry for Friday, so it kind of kicked everything into gear. Yeah. Um, so everything is being packed at the moment and then you've got Tumi Precision Engineering up at the bypass where the trailer is and they have started a huge collection so they've already started loading onto that trailer uh, we'll transport everything from the, the collection point down here in Bandon up um, and then you have uh, Kevin Toomey and Paddy Toomey so Paddy is going to be driving the truck over um, he's a retired truck driver so he's coming out of uh, a happy yeah. retirement to, to get stuck in um, and there's just, there's so many people contributing to this band. Offices are doing their bit. We have different businesses around town contributing, but it's it's the individual people coming in and asking, you know, what do you need? Um, explain to me how the journey is going to plan out. So they get the ferry on Friday. Do they yeah, go? So they're to leaving from And do they go to France? Is it? Or uh, I think it's it's uh, they call it the not so nice trip. So apparently they'll get onto the Ring of Skiddy ferry and they'll go straight to the Netherlands. Okay. Um, and then travel up. How long is that going to take them? 
Honestly, I don't know, but it's the longer of the ferries. So mm. if it takes on average from from England from Rathlare to to France, it's the average fourteen hours. I'd say you could be talking twenty twenty four hours. But again, if the truck drivers know that, yeah. <laughs> once I get every, once I help get everything on a truck. After that, the guys take it from there. And is there a plan once they get to Poland? Because, you know, we've heard of all of these collections that are happening and people shipping it over to Poland then. But, like, what's the plan once they get there? So um, when we got the county council, when they gave us this building yesterday to use, um, I was in contact with uh, the county mayor, Gillian Cochran. So she'd been in contact with a Ukrainian man up in Bishopstown. Mm. So Victor is coordinating different collections up there. Um, and he has the address on the Polish border where it's, it's almost like a set-down area. So it's back a bit from, from the border. And the military come over to said warehouse, grab what they need. It's, uh, it's like a staging area. Mm. And then they take it back over the border. And Sandy, I know that a lot of this stuff is going over to Poland, but will you guys mm-hmm. keep any of it here for when, you know, like the, the government have said that 20,000 refugees will be allowed into Ireland and I'm sure when they come here that they will need some stuff. Will you guys keep some of the stuff here for them? We're going to send, we're, we're in conjunction, we're talking to the Polish government because obviously uh, Slavomir and Rafal are both Polish, so we're mm-hmm. getting information back from different sources of what's needed. Mm. Uh, we've already found out that clothes aren't being sent to the, aren't needed at the moment, so we're holding all of those back right. until, you know, the, the stuff is needed. So we're taking our information as it comes. Mm. It's easier said than done, but when you have people on the ground on the other side, it's easier to get your info back. As for up to 20,000, you know, refugees, God love them if they, they come over here. We're going to keep this going for as long as it's needed, but we're taking our information from what's needed on the ground. Yeah, okay, brilliant. It's the only thing we can do. It must be really, I mean, I know that we've all been gripped by what's been happening over in Ukraine mm-hmm. and devastated by what's happening, but there must be a real sense of community in Bandon to see everybody, and communities all over uh, Cork West and indeed Cork, the whole country, yeah. like, you know, to see communities like this coming together. As you say, people coming out of retirement to help out. Yeah. And, People just, you know, working around the clock to try and get supplies where they're needed. Uh, it's it's incredible. I, yeah, it gives me goosebumps when we talk about it. Mm. Um, and and you, can, you know, you can shift into a gear and you just you know get the job done. But when you actually think about the human loss, the devastation mm. behind it, it's hard not to get involved. Um, and it just it's it's amazing when people start that you never knew you had contact with. Mm. And suddenly they're like, oh, I can do this. And they're like, oh my good God, where have you been all my life? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's really, really heartening. Um, but yeah, you know, it could be any of us. Yeah. You know, you never know what's going to happen in life. And I think after two years of lockdown and whatnot, it, it, mm-hmm. it almost seems like the world is saying it's enough. Yeah, indeed. It's enough. We, we need to pull together. So we're doing what we can. Um, the Manway Rugby Club have done a phenomenal drive so they're going to be bringing all their stuff up to Bandon as well to get it onto the trailer mm-hmm. um, then there's coffee morning I believe happening down the Manway as well I think Deirdre uh, Kelly is behind that right. so they're hoping to collect money um, but there will be a an independent deposit account created for our fund because people are handing in money and we don't really want to carry cash mm-hmm. um, so anything will go into that and will help support the, the trips overseas and it will also um, anything that's after that fact, we'll go to charities on the ground over there. Okay. There's some really, really good people on the border that are feeding people as they come across. Um, you know, 4,000 meals, 8,000 meals in 24 hours, that kind of thing. It's, it's incredible. It really is. It really is incredible. Sandy, keep up the good work and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. No problem at all. Thanks so much for the call. 
we've just been contacted as well by a number of people about collections, other collections that are happening around the city and county. Frank uh, has been in touch to say Centra on Shandon Street are accepting money donations for Ukraine from today. We've also been asked to announce the details for Christy O'Donovan and Katrina Toomey's UK, Ukraine relief, which we were talking about yesterday. And the pickup point is the visitor centre at the North Cathedral between 10 and 4 this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, we've also been contacted by Maria to say in relation to Michal O'Hurley's interview, it was very good to have him on and very good, informative and moving speech. Let us know um, what you think or if you have any other collections or donations happening across the city and county that you'd like us to mention 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Let us know about any collections that you are doing around the city. 0818-96-9696 or 0833-96-9696. Now moving on to something else. Uh, Connor Armstrong, he was only three years old and we were speaking to his aunt Therese on the show back in December. Connor had been diagnosed with a brain tumour back in November last year and the family were living over in the UK uh, where he was receiving treatment and unfortunately little Connor passed away at the end of January and the family have moved back. Um, He was laid to rest two weeks ago um, but unfortunately for the poor family they can't find a home to relocate back to Cork and I'm joined now by Connor's auntie Therese. Good morning Therese and first of all my absolute condolences on your sad loss. Thanks very much, Fiona. Thank you. And thank you for having me on this morning. You're very welcome, Therese. Um, for Louise and Dean and uh, Connor's little brother, Jack, they have moved back to Cork, but they've been unable to find anywhere to live. Absolutely nowhere. They're at the moment staying in my sister's house in Ballon College. And the thing is, Jack needs to get settled into a school and they need to have their own front door where they can start the grieving process and trying to come to terms with losing Connor. Um, but at the moment, because they they haven't got a, their own front door, they haven't got their own home or anything, it's very hard for them to start doing this in the privacy of their own place. And I mean, like we've heard about the housing crisis and the housing shortage mm-hmm. here in Ireland and in Cork in particular, and they have been looking, but there's just literally nothing, is there? Absolutely nothing. Nowhere. Uh, we've tried everywhere. Every estate agent's. Um, we've been ringing them ourselves, we've been reaching out to other people, trying to see if they could help us in any way, and absolutely nothing is coming back. Nothing. And it's they're looking for somewhere to, for, the, for the three of them, so I suppose, what, a two-bedroom yeah. apartment or a house, or does it really matter at this stage? Um, well, preferably a house they'd be looking for, so, um, yeah, but nothing, nothing, nowhere. It's crazy. And is there a particular area in Cork that they're looking for? Well, they would love to go ovens, farins, balancholy, carry pipe direction out there uh, if they could. But if something else came up somewhere else, then they would obviously take that also. Mm. And Therese, um, they were living over in the UK. Had they been living over there mm. um, anyway or had they moved over for Connor's treatment? No, Louise moved over some years ago and where she met her husband, Jean. And that's where they stayed. But when Connor got sick, well, Louise always wanted to come home eventually. Mm. This was her home and she wanted to come home eventually. But this kind of pushed it 
faster, I suppose, than normal. And she, when she laid uh, Connor to rest last Thursday, she, that was it. She wasn't going back anymore because this was going to be her home then. Because if she had laid Connor to rest in England, then she would never come home. But since she's, he's here now, that's it. And I suppose... There's no going back. I suppose um, she needs all of her family around her now at the minute yeah. as well. Of course, and it's um, it's a very sad time for her, obviously, and for her to have all her family around her is the best possible way for her to go forward. And so she needs to get a home here where she has the support from her family and her friends around. Because you said there, like, he was only laid to rest last Thursday, so... And, you know, yeah. like, he was only diagnosed last November, so this has all been so fast. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. From the time he got diagnosed to the time he passed, it was nine weeks. That's a very, very short time to be sick. And it wasn't the fact that it was there be previous to that, because as the doctor had told her, it had only been a new thing. So it only had been there for a few weeks previous to him being diagnosed. So they're obviously still, but you all are obviously still in so much shock. Yeah, every day was something new that was going on with him. So you're trying to get your head around from the day before what happened to him and then something new happened the next day. So every day was just, you know, it was just a whirlwind of things. Yeah, and now, I mean, like, mm-hmm. they're not even able to, to grieve properly or to process no. what has happened properly because they're mm-hmm. they're living out of bags, really, at the minute, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, you have the three of them inside one bed. And poor Jack, he needs to have his own space. He needs to start coming to terms with his brother gone. And Louise and Jean is the same. They need to have their own front door where they can be inside it and begin to process Connor not being there anymore rather than having to put a face on for other people. And that's not fair on them. And Therese, have they moved everything from the UK back to Cork like have they moved all of their their stuff or have they still got a place over in the UK or what how is that working out at the minute for them and they haven't moved anything yet everything is still in the house over there but they're going back over in a couple of weeks with a couple of vans and just stock everything up into it and come back home again so So they'll just put things into storage and uh, had they been working over there like are they hoping to find jobs over here then again can they work from home yeah, they're hoping to get work for, um, over here. Dean will get a job because he's a maintenance manager in the hotel business for the last 20 odd years. Mm. And Louise is, Louise will get a good job anyway. Mm. She she works um, from home a lot. So. so I suppose like for them, you know, just to get Jack into school and for them to get jobs yeah. and to try and kind of, you know, rebuild their lives now. I mean, they can't really do that until they get a home. So no. they need to find somewhere pretty quick yeah they do of course for them just to process everything because as they say everything happened so quickly from the time that connor got diagnosed to the time that he passed and then with all the funeral arrangements the repatriation of him coming home and the burial here it's just been just one thing after the other and there's been no let up there's been no time for them to grieve and now with them living in somebody else's home as well they just don't have that space to grieve as a family together and they need that and how are they doing louise and Jean, they will put a face up for you and they'll just get through the day 
They go to see Connor every single day. A couple of times maybe they go to the grave just to just be with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she's trying her best to be one person in front of you. And how are you? you? It must be devastating for you as well. It's devastating for us all. Mm-hmm. We lost a little boy who was such a bright little child just so quickly. And Therese, I know like you said that you have contacted loads of estate agents and yeah. you know, I've been chatting to you and you know, I've yeah. contacted a few people as well and they haven't had anything. So I suppose the reason why you wanted to come on this morning was that if anybody in Cork is listening this morning and who has somewhere to rent um that would yeah. be suitable for Louise and Dean and little Jack that they could maybe yeah. get in touch with you and we could sort it out for them. Exactly. It'd be great if there was. You just you talk to maybe 100 people and that one person or those 100 might have something and say, oh, hang on, I know something, you have something for you. Mm. That's all it takes. And the people at Cork are so generous and they would just go above and beyond for everybody here. And that we're just looking for one person to have something. That's all. Have you contacted any of of the local representatives, any of the TDs, anybody like that? No, we haven't. Nothing regarding the housing situation because the people that are on the housing list in Cork is, what is it, maybe six, eight thousand people. So Louise would have no way of getting the house that way. Definitely not. And with both of them going to be working, it's just rent a property until the time that they can buy a house, apply for mortgage and things like that. Yeah. Therese, look, we can, you know, hopefully we could just put out the appeal there, as we said, if anybody is listening this mm-hmm. morning who has a house, preferably in the, the Balancholic Ovens, Farrens area, a two-bedroom mm-hmm. house um, for this family who are going through such a a devastating time in their lives if they could just find a home for them we would really really appreciate it totally totally but Mm. Fiona before I go if there's a possibility that I just need to say a few thank yous to people who just made Connor's final journey a most beautiful beautiful day Um, I'd like to thank Angeline Myers, Gerald Myers Tony Gardner they all work in the front line in the services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Carey, Adrian Kenny in the Harp Bar for the Benefit Night last Friday night for them. And also Deborah Murphy, who sang at a beautiful mass. Johnny Sheehan, who done the graveside for us. And O'Connors for all their support. They mm-hmm. have been just totally amazing to him. And just a thank you to all the people of Cork uh, for, who donated to the GoFundMe who is now going to be um, a foundation in Connor's name to help families just like ourselves what we're going through so that they don't have to have the worry of an expense, you know, for treatment and things like that. And there's a raffle at the moment going on and we want to thank all the businesses for donating to that because this is for the foundation also. Okay. And just, yeah, just a big thank you to everybody who's just made Connor's final journey the most magical, beautiful day. Okay, Therese, listen, we thank you very much for talking to us this morning and hopefully somebody out there will be able to help and the number to contact us here is 0818969696 or you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie and Therese, we will stay in touch with you and listen, send our regards as well to Louise, Dean and Jack and take care of you and your, your whole family.
Thank you so much, Fiona, and thank you for having me on. You're very kind. You're very welcome. Um, that was Therese Kelly, auntie of uh, Connor Armstrong, who sadly passed away after just nine weeks from his diagnosis. So if anybody can help us find this family a home, 0818 96 96 96, 0833 96 96 96. Now, um, back to the um, help for the Ukrainian people. Catherine Murphy, you are from Sandcastle's pre school in White's Cross GA. Good morning. Good morning to you and, and sorry the name is Catherine Cashman. Um, Catherine Cashman. Apologies. Cashman. Okay, no, apologies. No 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 it's because people would know me as Cashman. Okay. Um, I am. I tell you can I just say that this idea originated from Footprints Preschool in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind lady uh, Rachel offered places and then I kind of said to myself you know there's something that we can all do and I spoke to the staff and we were saying maybe we could offer summer care because with Tulsa with regulations for preschool, we are highly regulated that we can only take so many children in our settings. And as when I was at home yesterday, my daughter said, you have an afternoon session, ma'am, that you could fill up the places. And I thought, yes, this is what we can offer. So, you know, when you watch the news, and, you know, I think every preschool out there today are trying their best to do something. You watch the news and you see all these young children and they're underneath ground hiding. It's absolutely heart-wrenching to see. Mm. And, you know, if we can help, we will help. And, you know, we'll do all that we can. And I'm hoping that the Ukraine children that will move into the Cork area, you know, especially the Glamour, the White Cross area, mm-hmm. or any surroundings, if they can travel, of course, we will welcome them with open arms. Yeah, because even when we were speaking to Hall earlier, he was saying that there's a need for, um, you know, like that the donations are greatly appreciated. But this is going to be long term and there's going to be, you know, a need for people like yourselves to take children in. There's going to be a need for therapists, medics. You know, it's not just it, it goes beyond just, you know, giving uh, it, medical it does, supplies. It goes it? beyond. And, you know, like just to set up, because like obviously our ECC setting and our preschool, you know, for most uh, that were only just a uh, session will end up in June. For me, like, I am full day care, mm. but we say the ECC setting will end up on the 26th of June. So we say, please God, any children that will come in to me, we do have a uniform, so Sandcastles will, you know, like to the last, uh, the cost of the um, uniform so that the children are completely, fully inclusive in our setting when they come in, that, you know, they feel part of, of us when the minute they come in. Um, and I agree with you, and I think, like, for the summer... Maybe, you know, I'm just thinking out loud while I'm here that maybe with the Tulsa regulations that preschools maybe might that don't normally open in the summer might be able to open up to help families. And obviously, like from September on, um, my doors will still be opened. As many places as I have free will be given out to, you know, parents like from Ukraine to, you know, help them settle into our country at the moment. Um, and again, look, can I just say, we? I couldn't do this without the wonderful staff I have. Yes, they're all willing to walk and give the extra hours in just to help all these children. And Catherine, just to remind us, how do people get in touch? Or like, do do people here in Cork get in touch with you on behalf of people who are coming over here? What way of is course, it going to work? It, yeah. Of course. And we have um, we have a, a Glamire, it's called the Mums of Glamire page. You know, Jersey, yes. uh, uh put up um, a Facebook page for me last night and I did get a few texts, you know, thanking me. Look, this is not for me to be thanked. This is not because, oh, Catherine Cashman is wonderful. Look what she's doing. This is genuinely like from all, all childcare services from the bottom of our hearts, we're all trying to help. And of course, like if there's somebody in the area and knows somebody that's coming into the country, of course, get on to me. My Facebook page, my number, I can give you, you can call up my number there later. 
uh, get on to me. And um, I was asked by one person already, um, how do uh, they prove like that, you know, they genuinely have to come in? And I haven't even thought of that, but maybe if they just want to show me that they, you know, their travel, um, uh, we say ticket or whatever, that they've just arrived into the country, whatever. Um, we have to be mindful like that. It is for these children that are just coming into the country that have no homes, no preschool, nowhere to go. You know, if I had if I had room in my house, I would take some of them in. Mm. But unfortunately, I don't. And, you know, that's what we're just trying to do is give as much help as we can. And Catherine, uh, as I suppose I, as you were inspired by that school in Dublin, we would be hoping maybe that other um, places in Cork, other preschools in Cork might take a leaf out of your book. They are 100% because we have um, um, a preschool chat um, that's run by Elaine Dunn and she's in um, Dublin and she runs the partitioners uh, preschool page as well. And her herself got on to Tulsa and they've upped her numbers, I think, by five children to take in. And that's what all preschools, I guess, and that's why I reiterate it, it's not just me. Most of the preschools that I'm friendly with have got on to me and said that because they are full, which I fully understand and we are regulated, they are now getting on to Tulsa to see even if every preschool in Cork could up their numbers by two, that would mean an awful lot of children would be looked after when they come in. And I suppose that's what we're trying to do at the moment, like is that if Tulsa and the government left us up our numbers to take them in, you know, and I'm just lucky that I do have spaces in my afternoon session and I will be able to accommodate for the summer to full day care. So, yes, I, I, I will say that, that every preschool I know of are on it today to try to get their, their numbers up. And Catherine, I suppose as well, just for the staff working in the preschools, will they be um, equipped with the right skills to deal with some of these children who, you know, are coming from a, a war zone and may have seen things that we can't even imagine here and they could be very traumatised? Of course, yeah, and uh, and we have spoke about that. We had a, a meeting there earlier this morning about it, and it, what we can do, look, is obviously when they come in, we all need to get, you know, like, how are we going to deal with these children? Of course, like, um, I heard of, there's a lady um, that is, is Ukraine that speaks fluent English, and I think, again, this is happening in Dublin, and I say this here now on radio, that she is going to um, give English lessons to parents that's coming in. She's going to go into a couple of places and help, you know. So if there's a Ukraine person in Ireland for the last few years that can speak fluent English, I would welcome them when I have the children to come and sit down with us. Yes, they'd have to be guarded, vetted, but look, they will be with us. And, you know, we kind of sometimes have to say, right, we will get you guarded, vetted, but you won't be left alone. You'll be with one member of staff with, you know, all the time just to get them settled in. And I think that's the route that I will go down, that, um, yes, I will be looking for somebody that can speak both languages, because we don't speak it, that could help us. And I'm sure there is a lot of uh, Ukraine in Cork at the moment, like that would help, would be willing to help us out there. Brilliant. Catherine Cashman from the Sandcastles Preschool in White's Cross GA. Thank you so much for joining us on the in the opinion line this morning. An inspiration to us all. And if anybody else is doing anything similar to Catherine or who may be considering it, you can let us know. 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 or opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM.
Fiona in for PJ uh, today and uh, John Joe Hurley he has been in touch to say there's a fundraiser dance for people of Ukraine on March the 11th in Newmarket uh, Sinead has been in touch to say hi Fiona I have a gluten free food stall on Fridays and Saturdays in the Market Green shopping centre in Middleton from 9am to 2pm this week I'm donating 50% of my sales to the Red Cross Ukraine crisis appeal regards Sinead from Bratnex Bay in gluten-free. Um, hi lads, just wanted to let you know that myself and my friend Sinead have a trolley in super value in Merchants Key for donations to Ukraine, baby food, formula, nappies, toiletries, non-perishable foods, etc. The trolley will be there till Friday. At that stage we will sort through and bring all donations to a container that leaves for Poland on Saturday morning. It would be great if you could mention this in place for people who might uh, want to donate. Thanks very much for that, Cora. And John has been in touch to say with regards to Alan Kelly stepping down. Alan Kelly stepping down is the best news ever for those of us on the water charges campaign. He was the head of the campaign wanting to charge us. He wasn't with the realities of domestic life. His stubbornness cost the Cork branch a loss in popularity. Would you agree with John? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96. Now, I mentioned at the start of the show that last Monday was Rare Disease Day and we were speaking about it on the show. And following on from the conversation that we had, we were contacted by Donna and her family about their daughter, who Emily Kate. She's eight years old and she has a rare condition and she's the only person of her age in Munster with this condition. Donna, we were talking about rare diseases on the show the other day and your husband contacted us about your daughter, Emily Kate. Now, she's eight years old and she has a condition called narcolepsy type 1 and catalepsy. Can you just tell us a little bit about both of those and how they affect her? So, um, narcolepsy is actually um, a neurological disorder and um, it goes hand in hand with cataplexy. Um, so it's it's a sleep disorder. Um, like when you hear sleep disorder, you kind of think, oh yeah, well you get over that. But it's actually very, you know, there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of excessive daytime sleeping, and then at night you'd have insomnia. So it's contradicting itself where you're sleeping a lot during the day and you're awake a lot during the night. Your sleep, you go straight into REM very fast. It's you know it's. Mm. It's very messed up, really, to be honest. It's down to fluid in our brains called hemocretin that um, at some stage was just destroyed in that part of the brain for some reason or another. We actually don't know. Um, So it it upsets the sleep-wake cycle. And has, has she always been like that? Is that something that she was born with? No, 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 no. Um, up until two years ago, Emily Case was perfect. There was no narcolepsy, no cataplexy, no. And it just started to happen then two years ago? Um, the symptoms started slowly. Um, so she would start to fall asleep a lot at home. And, you know, so uh, I was watching that and then we had to get bloods done and then COVID kicked in, so everything was slowed down. Um, so she had MRI tests, she had sleep liaison tests, but eventually it took um, a spinal tap, you know, to measure the fluid of the hemocretin in her brain to confirm that it was narcolepsy. Um, so that had to be done and sent to Germany. And there was a loss, yeah, but the cataplexy 
started to show we were doing homeschooling and you know we'd be sitting at the kitchen table and her brother could say something funny and next thing she'd start to laugh and she'd lose the like her limbs would just go weak mm. she could headbutt the table you know her tongue would hang out um she'd often have fallen to the ground you know there was it was very scary to watch when we didn't know what was going on to be honest yeah and is she able to go to school now well we has started on the 2nd of January we started a drug called sodium oxybated styrum and that's something that we're still working on so things have improved in the last week or so but it's been a long road like with that medication there's been a lot of hallucinations a lot of nightmares um, It's there's most nights since she hasn't had a night's sleep without hallucinations or you know, there's a lot going on, yeah. God love her. And at that age as well, I mean, is she even aware of what it is that she has? She does. She's very good. She does know what it is and she does understand what's happening. And, you know, and she's so good because it's so hard even for an adult to cope with that. Mm. But she's just fantastic. She's, you know, like she's when she's having a hallucination, she's absolutely petrified. You know, she's screaming, she's crying what's going on is really happening for her. Mm. You know, and it's, you know, she's coming to terms with these things. You know, and I suppose having to take drugs, she's never had to take medication. You know, like she's taking one in the morning early when she wakes, I go into school and give her another one to keep her going. So like since we have started the drugs, things are changing. Yeah, definitely there is a change, but only in the last week or two we've seen a change. And when you say that she's awake then at night time, like... Do, do you know, is she able to go into bed or are you all sitting up with her at night time or what happens? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have been. Yeah, it's only in the last week or so, really, that things are starting to get into a pattern. Because yep. she needs to take this drug twice at night. Mm. So she, like, she will, every time she takes um, her Zyrum, she will only sleep for three hours. But you see, the thing is, the Zyrum is giving her restless. It's giving her a good night's sleep. Mm. Because even though she would sleep a lot during the day, it's never a restful sleep. She hasn't slept restfully at least for two years until she has started this drug. You must be wrecked yourself. Well, she's just coming to terms with it all. It's a big change, mm. to be honest. Yeah, and sleep deprivation would... Yeah, we are wrecked. Yeah. And I know that this is a very rare disease. You know, we started off the conversation saying that that's why why you contacted mm-hmm. the show because we were talking about rare diseases on Monday. And um, I believe that Emily Kate is the only girl in Munster of her age that has yeah. this. Do they have any idea why somebody would get this? They reckon it's severe illness at some stage where her own immune system could have attacked that part of her brain, but nobody actually knows. Like, there is no cure for narcolepsy at the minute. Um, I'd never heard of narcolepsy until Emily's been diagnosed with it. Mm. Um, there's an awful lot of people that would say, how is Emily? You know, she's been up and down to hospital and stuff. And I'd say, well, we have a diagnosis. And they'd say, well, what's going on? And I'd say narcolepsy. And they're like, what? Nobody knows what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's nobody. And it's scary because... Even, like, she needs support now from people and they're trying to figure out, like, what way does she need support? What is this, you know? And when you say there's no cure, is this something that she is going to just have to learn to live with and just continue taking this medication then? Yeah, for the rest of her life.
whatever, like, yeah. And it brings it down to, like, jobs, children, I suppose, driving, everything, you know. And as her mum, you must be just so worried about her. She's devastated because there was a lot stripped away from us and from her. Mm. Yeah, it was a hard pill to swallow now, to be honest, yeah. Um, I just didn't even think this kind of thing could happen. You know, she was perfect two years ago. And then your life was just turned upside down. Turned upside down, all four of us, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all so four she, of us. She has a sibling. She has a brother. He's twelve. He actually made his confirmation yesterday, so we're still oh. kind of <laughs> <laughs> starting ourselves out here. Yeah, but it was very strange for him too to hear his sister so upset at night time and mm. figure all this going on. He he just didn't. He was as baffled as we were. But yeah. we're all learning about us, and you know she's. She's a fighter, I'll give her that. (laughs) God love her. And were you, you said there about the confirmation yesterday, are you able to go out um, in social settings like that? Is she able for things like that? She is now since, um, you know, she'd have a stimulant during the day that she Mm. takes to keep her awake. She is now. Now, she did sleep in the car on our way for her meal and that kind of gave her a little bit of a rest. So it was fine. But Mm. before she could fall asleep, anywhere at any time it didn't matter and it's not like you know when you say that you know I mean like we've all had nights where we've been awake for hours especially as a parent and we have children who are awake (laughs) and we feel really tired the next day and we're just nodding off like is she going into like a deep sleep during the day no like she she just has no control she hasn't had a restful deep sleep in two years you know when she's falling asleep how the other narcoleptics describe it is it's like being awake for 48 hours. You're just so exhausted. You can't fight that sleep. She falls asleep in school when it gets to that extreme, mm. you know. But the drugs have helped an awful lot. Like Emily would come home from school now most days in the last week or two and say, I haven't slept today, Mum, in school. Yeah. Do you know, and she's so proud of it. Like, it's great. You know, so things are changing. But it's just, People don't understand, even though she looks like she's asleep and she's out for the count, she's actually not. She can sometimes hear what's going on around her. Right. There's a, a thing called sleep paralysation, yeah. where her brain would wake up before her body. So she can actually hear everything going on and, you know, everything. She's very alert, but she can't move her body. And when you got the diagnosis, was there a, enough information available for you to try and get your head around it? Or have you had to really try and use Dr. Google to try and find information? Or are there like support groups available for yourself no, and your husband? There's nothing in Ireland. There's only a website, Narclepsy Ireland. And that explains a lot, but that's it. There's nothing. There's no Facebook groups. It's big in um, the UK and America Mm. but in Ireland no nothing and is there anybody else in Ireland I know that she's the only girl in Munster but there is is other people in Ireland but they're all a lot older now and to find them it's hard to find them right you know like we go to Temple Street where there's um, an narcolepsy clinic once every you know well she won't be going up now again till August because they want to give the drugs time to actually kick in they're slow you know, as working and, you know, finding the balance, Emily's therapeutic dose, you know, and stuff like that. It's, mm. yeah, so, no, we're still figuring things out and I suppose she's going to be growing and changing, so everything's going to be changing all the time. Yeah. 
And her development in every other way is fine, is it? Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Loved ladies football, loved Olivia Rodrigo, you know, music. <laughs> She's a great girl, like. Oh. You know, it's it's heartbreaking, really, to be honest, to watch her go through it. Yeah. And has she yeah. been able to play with her friends and stuff like that? Um, you see, all along we've had COVID. While we're actually going through this, it was all COVID was happening while mm. this diagnosis was going on. So we were kind of, you know, it, we started walking and stuff at the start of COVID and she was great and that slowly declined, you know, things like that. Mm. But now I think school has, her life has really come on since the stimulants to keep her awake and stuff. So she is only now, though, she is. Right. You know, she's had two years have been very hard for her. Mm. But there hasn't been any play dates or anything. Because she's conscious of falling asleep and people watching her sleep and, you know, and she's mm. no control over it. Well, hopefully this medication now will help her lead a, a normal life for the rest of her life. Yeah, the best we have now, to be honest. There's mm. no cure and they don't know why it happened originally, but all they can offer us is um, drugs to help with symptoms and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully. 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 But there's just not enough information out there about narcolepsy, definitely. Not enough. It's. I had a lot of digging to do and only for the consultants I was with, yeah. explaining things to me and pointing me in this direction. And, you know... There's nothing. It's. I didn't even hear of it myself, you know, until she was diagnosed. And I actually said to the consultant, I said, um, I've never heard of this. And he said, sure, why would you? He said, it's such a rare disease. So maybe there's somebody out there listening who might be able to give you some Hopefully, advice yeah. or support uh, yeah. or help. I'd way. love it. Or even somebody that might be going through this and mm. not knowing what it was. Because I didn't think when she was falling asleep on the couch that we'd end up with a diagnosis like this. Mm. I know, you know, and it's it's mad the way uh, radio works because a couple of weeks ago we had um, a young lad on and he was talking about a condition that he had and um, while he was talking about it we were contacted by another girl who had the same condition and believed oh. all her life that she was the only person in Cork with that condition. Oh, so, lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just don't yeah. know who's who's out there and who's listening. So hopefully... Hopefully, it would be great. Yeah, we'd, okay. we'd love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Donna, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and all the best to Emily Kate as well. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Corks 96 FM. Fiona in for PJ today. Keep your comments coming in to us. 0818-96-96-96-083-396-96-96. With regards to Alan Kelly, we've been contacted by a listener to say, why would someone elected via by-election become the leader of Labour? Should it not be someone who's a consistent party member like Sean Sherlock? If she's voted leader, there's a good chance she won't be there after the next election. With regards to the interview I had with Connor Armstrong's um, Auntie Therese and how the family are looking for a home, Diren on Twitter has said, so sad listening to Connor Armstrong's aunt on the opinion line speaking about the family's struggle to find a home for themselves in Cork to live in so they can start to rebuild their lives and begin to grieve after relocating from the UK and indeed it is an extremely 
sad situation that they're in and if anybody can help that poor family find a home in Cork they're looking for a two bedroom home possibly in the Balancholic Ovens Farrens area um, you, you can contact us here on the opinion line and we will uh, put you in touch with that family. It's 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Um, with um, the 96 FM, uh, don't forget that you can also listen to us on um, online or on our app. If you have a new smartphone or tablet, then grab the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download Cork's 96 FM now Um and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice, streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on our phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96fm.ie. Now... Just with regards to um, a story that I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm joined now by Professor Claire Lynch, who has written a book called Small on Motherhoods, and it details her experience of a same-sex family. Good morning, Professor Lynch. Good morning, Fiona. Lovely to speak to you. You too, you too. Now, this book, um, Claire, is about your own experience, yourself and Beth Ann, and your gorgeous little twins, Megan and Orla. What inspired you to write the book, first of all? Oh, I mean, I think we can we can always do with more stories in the world. And I think uh, that feeling of having a story that I wanted to share, uh, to make connections with other families, and I think just to, you know, capture our story a little bit. I think it's... Um, you know, a real opportunity for us all to talk about our own families and families in different ways. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of pleased to have it out there. And just bring us back to when yourself and Bethan decided that you want to have children. Was it a difficult process for you guys? I think in the end, the process was quite difficult or more challenging than we maybe had uh, a little bit naively imagined. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's um, it, it, like many other couples who decide to start a family. I think the kind of the, the, the hope of it all and the kind of joy of the idea of it kind of comes first, then the practicality, um, you know, and I'm pleased to say, you know, everything worked out in the end, which is, mm. um, you know, a great, great blessing for us. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out in the end. There was a couple of, um, you know, uh, difficulties along the way, as you said, but then you had the beautiful uh, twins, Megan and Orla. It must have been absolutely overwhelming for yourself when, when you had the, the, the little girls. I mean, like, was it ever a situation that you thought that you could imagine yourself being in? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's a it's a baptism of fire, isn't it, to start mm. off with twins as well as uh, other families will know. And I should uh, mention that we have a, a third daughter as well, just in case she, uh, you know, three-year-olds <laughs> get put out, out by <laughs> <laughs> being left out of a mention. Um, I mean, I think it was, um, yeah, there were there were difficulties along the way. It took us, uh, you know, uh, quite a while with uh, IVF treatment and mm. some, some difficulties there. But I think, um, you know, the joy of it all and kind of being that sort of, people say, you know, between the kind of instant family to have, you know, siblings there for each other from the beginning. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hard work with twins at the beginning, lots of uh, double sleepless nights and uh, extra 
more nappies than you can imagine but you know a, 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 a great start to family life in the end yeah and you mentioned there about um fertility treatment was there much support for you guys when you started this journey I think in our case, it was a, a question of kind of finding the right place. So, I mean, you know, there, were, there are plenty of uh, clinics in the UK that are specialising in treatment for same-sex couples. So that was a great mm. source of support for us. Um, so, yeah, it was possible. I mean, I think um, the, the that area is changing a lot. And there's, you know, lots of different ways for people to start families. And I think that, you know, opening up space about those conversations is really important, actually. So, I mean, if people are, you know, interested in that, want to kind of find out more, I think there's lots of uh, lots of info out there. And Claire, you went to UCC and established a successful academic career. So at what point did you decide that motherhood was going to be part of your life? Because it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a juggle. It's very busy. <laughs> It is very busy. I, I'm sorry to say I didn't go to UCC. I wish I had. That would be a um, oh, apologies. Something to be very proud of. But no, no, no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I the the academic career is kind of yeah, you're right. A big kind of uh, balancing act to get those things done, uh, yeah. <laughs> all done at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think lots of professional kind of uh, parents kind of know that that gets gets done somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it had given me a bit of um, background in writing, which was great. So this is a very different kind of writing for me to go into and sort of the opposite in a way of academic writing to be writing about yourself, whereas often in academic writing, you're pretending you don't really exist. So um, yeah, making that work's been good. But I think, um, yeah, it's it's uh, all part of the parenthood, kind of one minute giving a lecture and then the next minute making the World Book Day costumes. Speaking of parenthood then, um, just the reactions to two women having children together, like what was the reactions like to that? I saw a headline where it was um, you uh, had some old man on the bus go, who's the mum? I mean, that must have been quite difficult for you guys, or was it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> that happens. I mean, I think, um, you know, again, I would say I think that's kind of, you know increasingly an unsurprising thing for people to deal with mm. and for the most part people you know realize that they kind of put their foot in it and that it's um you know it's it's not a it's not a sort of question of um I think it's people are kind of you know say the wrong thing often by accident yeah. uh, we've been very lucky that that hasn't been the case too much and the other thing to say of course is that you know um little girls are very quick to correct people who get things wrong so the children are very happy to explain to everyone who there's, who's their mummy and who's their mama and there's no kind of problems there. Um, so, you know, that I'm, I'm, that is unfortunately not the case everywhere or for everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the, for the most part, I think what people recognise is uh, children who are happy and a family who's doing their best. And, um, you know, that's a really kind of positive thing to be part of, really. And that's the most important thing about a family, isn't it? Is that everybody is happy within the family. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, one of the things that I hope the book does is get us to think a little bit about family not being just biology, but, you know, more than that, how we are together, what we offer each other. And, you know, there's lots of people who have that experience, people who have, you know, uh, uh, with adoption in their family mm. or bonus or blended families, you know, we've all got different versions of how we connect to one another. And so, you know, it's just another way of us getting past that sense of biology being the only thing that, you know, that's not the thing that makes us you know, act as a family. Since writing the book, Small, on motherhood, have you had a lot of um, people contact you who are maybe in a same-sex relationship and who are planning on starting a family and are a bit unsure as to how to go about it? 
Yeah, I have had some people contact me, uh, you know, who who found it, I hope, um, you know, comforting in a way to have that story out there and to see that that's something that they might want to do in the future. But I think the other thing to say is that I've often had uh, parents uh, in, you know, traditional families who, who contact me to say that, you know, it's a great thing to have that sense of connection to see what we have in common that, you know, for all of the, you know, uniqueness possibly of our family there's also lots of things that people recognize about having babies and small children so mm. i think it, it it's it's great for us to have these conversations because of that you know it connects us by what we have in common and it's also good to hear experiences that are not our own you know to open up to that a little bit and Claire, i know now that, that you didn't go to ucc <laughs> but you do have roots in cork don't you <laughs> uh, yeah i'm i that's true. yeah i'm not short of a second cousin in cork Fiona. so if there's a spike in listening figures for the last five minutes then, uh, then we know why uh, yeah but <laughs> <laughs> so your family are here in cork yeah, so I'm hoping people are, uh, are listening in i won't name check anyone in case i don't name check everyone um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, that's and so it's a really, really a big treat for me to be talking to you. And Claire, if anybody does want to read the book or if they want to contact you about any questions that they may have, the book is called Small on Motherhood. And is it available in all shops now? Yeah, in fact, it's out in paperback today. So, you know, oh. people should be able to get hold of it in the usual places. Uh, and the audio book and the, you know, the, the uh, online book are available too. Mm-hmm. But people can find me quite easily on, on uh, Twitter and, and Instagram too if they want to get in touch. Fabulous. Well, listen, best of luck with the book and with everything else. Thank you very and with much. the family. You have a busy life. You have three kids now and a, and a, a yeah, book coming exactly. out. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, book tours and stuff like that as well and your career. So Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll take a nap after this talk. Yeah. <laughs> do, or even just a cup of tea. <laughs> That'll have to do, I think, yeah. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. Lovely to speak to you this morning. That was Professor Claire Lynch and the book, of course, is called Small on Motherhoods and as she said, it's available in all bookshops from today. And keep your comments coming into us 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 or you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie with regard to donations a caller has been in touch to say as many places are now saying they have enough supplies etc and are seeking cash it might be worth those people who have gathered supplies to find somewhere that might benefit domestically example homeless charities students collecting for struggling classmates etc that's lovely idea from that caller. Thank you very much for that. Um, There's a fundraising event at To Have and To Hold on the Kinsale Road this Saturday organised by the wonderful Ashling Kelleher. Hairstyling all day. All donations go directly to Ukraine. Check out the amazing prizes on our Instagram at polka.dreaming including a painting inspired by the Ukraine five-year-old Lauren Coyne which will be auctioned to anybody who wants to support that. Another person has been in touch to say, hi Fiona, there are thousands of empty houses around Ireland and plenty of people like myself willing to put family and kids up in our houses. The Irish might not have much but we are people that care and share with other people from other countries in times of troubles. Plus if any landlords out there with empty houses or apartments should put them up to help these families out from Ukraine and that is so true caller. I think that the Irish people have shown an amazing generosity to this crisis and um, you know it's 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 overwhelming when you see the amount of people that are doing so much good work across uh, the city and county here in Cork in particular. Now, um, I've been 
talking to quite a few people over the last while about different issues regarding the gut, such as Crohn's disease and colitis and IBS. And I discovered um, Amy Kelly, who hosts the podcast Gutcast, and she joins me now this morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you for having me today. And thank you for joining us. It's such a massive topic um, with people about, um, you know, how to take care of your gut. And so many people say that, you know, oh, I'm so stressed out and it affects me and, you know, and I can't eat uh, gluten and, you know, it affects me differently. So, you know, just with regards to um, the Irish Society for Colitis and Crohn's Disease, um, what kind of advice and support do you give to people, first of all? Sure. Um, so we uh, provide membership so people can join um, and basically we have a helpline um, that people can call. Um, you don't have to be a member to avail of our helpline and that operates Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays from half nine until 1230. Um, we also advocate, I suppose, on behalf of people living with IBD. Um, we create awareness around living uh, with IBD because I suppose a lot of people might hear of the terms IBD, Crohn's disease, colitis. Um, but may not be fully aware of the full impact of what it's like to live with these chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. I myself live with Crohn's disease and I suppose I was diagnosed in 2019 and when I was diagnosed a lot of people think I suppose immediately people might go to this one symptom of diarrhea and they're running to the toilet which is a massive symptom for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, but the symptoms are far and wide and I always say once you've met one person with IBD you've met one person with IBD because um, everyone has a different story to tell with similarities um, so I suppose the ISCC is a support network uh, overall um, and I suppose just helping people who may be newly diagnosed perhaps parents whose children might be diagnosed or maybe an adolescent who's moving to adult care um, and all of those things that happen in life uh, and we're just there as a guide and a support to, to them. And what causes um, you know conditions like Crohn's and colitis and IBS is it all stress related? It's there. There's no known um, cause uh, or cure for that matter, unfortunately. Um, so IBD and IBS are, are will be different uh, in the fact that with I, IBD, uh, for Crohn's, for example, um, you can have it can affect from your mouth all the way through to your anus, so the full digestive tract. With uh, colitis, it is mainly kind of I suppose in the colon, the kind of the the large and small intestine in those areas. Um, with IBS, there's no known inflammation, so it's not seen, um, I suppose, as a as as a as a lifelong illness in that regard. Um, so they are different. Now, the I suppose the only catch, and and I fall under this bracket, those of us that live with IBD, there's a lot of us who also have IBS. So unfortunately, we may have the two conditions. Uh, and the thing I suppose about both of them is they overlap a lot in regards to the symptoms that they might present initially with. Um, so like that, you know, um, your bowel movements. Uh, such as diarrhea constipation is another side of it as well mm. and with constipation um you know for a lot of people trying to pass do that can cause um blood and bleeding um you know and, and be very very painful for a lot of people um so that's definitely not a symptom to to ignore um and also there are other symptoms like uh, ulcers in your mouth that's actually a symptom i had for a few months but pre my diagnosis and um i never knew that was a symptom of Crohn's disease. When I, like everybody, perhaps when we have symptoms of any sort, we go on Google and we do a little quick Google search. Um, 
I, Crohn's actually came up with some of the symptoms I was experiencing, but I, I disregarded it at the time because I said, oh, well, like I'm not running to the toilet. So that's not my, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in actual fact, a few months later, I was in A&E um, being diagnosed after a perforation in my small intestine uh, with Crohn's mm-hmm. disease. And Amy, it affects the sufferer, obviously, um, in so many different ways. Does it have an impact on how you live your life then socially and even how you like go about your daily business if you're working and stuff like that? Absolutely. Um, massively. So um, I suppose you, you always have to be aware. Um, and I suppose every day, even my own instance, I wake up and I kind of do a little body check of like, OK, how am I feeling today? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you kind of drug, juggle your day that that way. Um, I suppose, you know, if if you are running to the toilet, a lot of people could be running to the toilet up to like 10 times a day. Um, so you can only imagine the impact that's having on someone's life. And I suppose one positive that came out of the pandemic for a lot of people in, uh, with IBD uh, was the, the working from home. So Things, simple things like being able to wear comfortable clothes, not work attire, mm. um, having a toilet right beside you, um, not having the commute in the morning. All of these little things make such a huge positive impact in people with IBD. Um, but like that, uh, you know, stress, um, although it's not a cause of IBD, it can definitely impact. You know, we've so many feelings in our gut, you know, the gut feeling. Um, and that's definitely true. So managing stress is a huge um, thing that we have to do. You know, diet, again, it, again, when I was diagnosed, you know, people would be very supportive and say, you know, can you eat that? Can you have this? Um, and and diet is very different for everybody um, mm-hmm. in regards to IBD. So one food that might be fine for me may not be fine for you. Uh, and it's about working with your uh, multidisciplinary team to try and identify what works best for you. So diet does play a role in it. Um, myself, what I actually did um, purely by accident, really, um, but I started to see the benefits was I went and moved to more of a plant based diet. That's not to say that that would work for anybody else, but that's just something that for me and my body has um, impacted me positively. Um, so it's about, I suppose, when you get a diagnosis um, of IBD, it's a journey. Um, you know, I, I kind of found that probably the year after uh, my diagnosis so a full year afterwards that's when I kind of found okay I'm settling into this and I think for anyone who's listening who may be living with someone with IBD or maybe newly diagnosed themselves it takes time and just to be kind and allow yourself that time because it's a huge life adjustment um, and for a lot of people even until they get that diagnosis it's been a long road because where our gut is it can you know, I remember when I was in hospital that time, they thought it might have been my appendix. Mm. Um, I know people who've had their appendix removed. Um, you know, uh, people might be like that. I was diagnosed the year before with IBS. So it's just um, about monitoring your symptoms and how your body is and seeing um, and trying to get that early diagnosis um, so that you can start to manage it. Um, and I suppose it's manageable with things like um, various medications. Some people may require um, surgery. Um, some people may require um, things like stoma bags and ileostomies or maybe a reconstruction uh, and things like that to, to, to help manage their symptoms. And in the series two of the podcast, which is called Gutcast, the first episode deals with how it affects family and friends. And you spoke there about your own journey, but it must also affect family members as well and um, your relationships that you have with people. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, I'm engaged to a wonderful guy and without him at that time, um, mm. it would have been a very different story for myself anyway. Um, but, you know, in that episode in particular, um, we talk about the because a lot of, um, I suppose, children are being diagnosed at quite a young mm. age. And I suppose 
when you're this sick, regardless of what age you are, really, when you're that sick and you're perhaps presenting at A&E, it's hard to be your own advocate and it's hard to speak up and, you know, say exactly what's going on. Mm. So a loved one turns into that advocate for you and kind of is fighting the battle for you to get seen or, you know, to retain the information that a doctor perhaps is saying to you. So the role our loved ones play is invaluable and no more like than a parent for their child. And that's what we really kind of focused on in that episode in particular. And, you know, the journey for that young person and, you know, a, a parent at, at that age when a child is saying their tummy is sore and, you know, they're perhaps fatigued, you know, which is very unlike a child to be fatigued mm. um, and looking at all of these symptoms and trying to find what's wrong with them. Because, um, as I say, IBD can can overlap with a load, a load of different other illnesses as well. Um, so it is it is a, a journey to get that diagnosis. Um but I suppose there are support there for for parents uh, and and for people supporting people with IBD. Uh, within the IUCC, we we would always get calls from from people who are supporting people with IBD, um, and we're always there to be a listening ear. Uh, and I know people just want to want the best, you know, for for their loved one. They just yeah. want to make sure they're doing the right thing, um, and and just by being there, they are doing the right thing. You know, uh, and just by reassuring, because I think for a lot of us with IBD, by, by the time we get our diagnosis, we can actually manage, imagine it's all in our head because we have just gone on this massive journey to getting a diagnosis. And we, it's, it's, it's very hard to describe what that what that's like. But even just the reassurance and knowing that somebody is in your corner is fantastic. So, yeah, we uh, we'll we, we, be lost without them. And is it hereditary, Amy? I mean, like, do you know, can people expect this or, you know, is it just because like if, if a child is um, diagnosed, it might not necessarily be stressed. That could uh, very well be something to do with their diet or, you know, what like why, why would a child be diagnosed with this or why would a child get it? It's it's still unknown um, a lot of the time, unfortunately. They are looking in to see if it is hereditary, um, but there's still uh, all the research is ongoing. So there's no um, there's 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 no reason, I suppose, for why people um, develop IBD or, or if we're born with it. Mm. Um, that's not known as of yet still. Uh, and unfortunately, um, there's a lot of research being done. I know in Ireland at the moment um, through fantastic teams uh, and looking into that, but nothing to say um, the reason is um, um, it, it is hereditary or if it's you know environmental kind of um uh, reasons you know around you know what 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 you're what you're exposed to or anything like that um it's not a known fact at the moment unfortunately um, and, it- and, and uh, jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, sorry, go on ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, we, people get diagnosed a child, but between the age of 15 and 35 is a is a is an age where most a lot of people get diagnosed. And then later in life, then around 50 to six, 50 to 60, um, they're the kind of main like obviously anyone can get diagnosed at any time, but they're the most prevalent times that people are getting diagnosed at. And Amy, you're director of the ISCC, which is the Irish Society for Colitis and Crohn's Disease. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, if they have any questions or they need some advice, how can they go about contacting you? Yeah, sure. So our information uh, line is 015312983. That's 015312983. And we also have an email address, which is info at iscc.ie. Info at iscc.ie. And your podcast, of course, is called Gutcast. Um, and is that available mm-hmm. on your website as well or on Spotify? Yeah, absolutely. It's available wherever everyone get, uh, listens to their podcast. So it's available on our own website, which is iscc.ie. Uh, and then it's available on, on Apple and Spotify uh, and, and any, as I say, anywhere that anyone likes to listen to their podcast. Brilliant, Amy. Listen, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. As I said, it's a topic that I think affects so many different people and it's lovely mm-hmm. to have you on the show this morning and such an informative chat. Thank you very much. Enjoy that. Um, that's Amy Kelly, Director of the ISCC and the podcast is Gutcast. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Fiona in for PJ today. I just wanted to mention, I saw this on Facebook, that um, this evening at 7pm, bells will sound across Cork City and County to mark the end of the first week of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and to demonstrate solidarity with the Ukrainian people. Led by the 12 bells of St. Finbar's Cathedral, the iconic Shandon bells of St. Anne's Church and the Cathedral of St. Mary and St. Anne bells will be pealed for five minutes. And I think that that's actually happening in churches right across the city and county so if you do hear a lot of bells ringing at seven o'clock this evening that that's um what that is it's in support of ukraine now technology is such a massive part of all of our lives and we've heard of how too much technology can stress us out but what about the skill sets that we have and um the different apps and the different um you know different uh it's a a different type of techno stress am i right Eva donovan lee good morning Hi Fiona, how are you? Thanks I, very much for having me. And thanks for joining us. Now Eva, you are a coaching psychologist and you've written about techno stress, but it's not the techno stress that we often hear of that, you know, that we've, we're just bombarded by technology and we've got too much technology in life. It's more about the skill sets. Yeah, there are different strands to it, uh, Fiona, based on the the academic research into techno stress. So um, I'll touch on just three of the stressors that can actually lead to Mm. techno stress. Um, So there's technology invasion, 
technology overload and technology complexity. Um, there are many other stressors, but these are the ones that I see showing up most in my research and my work with organizations. So technology invasion is kind of what you touched on there. Um, the pervasiveness of technology can lead uh, technology-based workers to feeling stressed by the perception that they're always connected and always on. Mm. Um, technology overload is where uh, technology workers, we've access to several different forms of communication technology, uh, allowing us to receive work-related requests from several different um, applications at any one time. And that can lead workers to feeling stressed out and um, like they don't have the resources within them to cope with it. Does that mean um, that, the, you know, you've got different um, apps and different programs all open at the same yeah. time and they're all coming at you at the same time and you're trying to maybe do Twitter and you're trying to do a spreadsheet and you're trying to do something else? Exactly. It makes focused work very difficult because knowledge workers are interrupted every three to five minutes because of all of these applications that we have open. You have your your wearable technology on your wrist, you have your phone in front of you, all the apps open on your, your computer desktop. And so when you're interrupted like that, your attention is split and it takes up to 23 minutes to, to actually regain your focus back to the task at hand. So you can see how productivity is is uh, is impaired by, mm. by technology overload. And technology or application complexity then, what does that mean? So the complexity is um, technology users, depending on your role, um, it can make you feel like uh, your skills are inadequate because you're you feel a constant pressure to keep up to date on um, new updates to technology that you're using. Mm. And so it can make it leaves people feeling like their skills are inadequate and that, that can lead to feelings of stress. I know. And I can imagine that, you know, things are changing all the time. Apps are changing all the time. Mm. Social media sites are changing all the time. And, you know, there's the introduction of new ones all the time as well. And I always think that oh, I'm pretty up to date on all of this stuff. And the next thing then I find something that's completely just throws me. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're exactly, but especially if it's if it's linked to your role mm. um, and it's something that you feel like you need to keep on top of. And then there's also the, the, the uncertainty that technology brings to people in those type of tech roles where they feel like uh, they could be replaced um, mm. by technology or new workers coming in who have better skills than them. That can lead them to feeling job related stress as well. So. In order to reduce the amount of techno stress in our lives, do, we have to obviously take a, an individual responsibility for this. But is it up to the managers of the companies to try and bring in maybe a slimlined program for workers? Yeah, absolutely, Fiona. So I think I think the onus is on both um, the the individual contributor and the the leaders within the organisation. So what I recommend is that they open up the conversation within their organisation on. What are the boundaries that we want to set around our technology usage? What do we want to say is inappropriate and what's appropriate behaviours around technology? Um, because employees have the right to disconnect, which is a code of practice that was brought in on the 1st of April last year. Mm. Um, and so employers have an obligation to their employees to make sure that they aren't that they're not leaving them in a position where they could be feeling techno stressed. Um, and so a good place to start is opening up the conversation and building out that guideline um, or a, an ICT usage policy, so an information and communication technology usage policy, mm. and then ensuring that everybody's everybody's abiding by it. So from the top down, because top down modeling behavior comes comes into play when 
employees are seeing that more senior members of staff are engaging in working outside of office hours or sending emails late at night, they do start to feel an inner obligation to, to respond or to be a contactable or to be online as well. Mm. So leaders have responsibility to manage how they're behaving with their tech. They also have responsibility to ensure those guidelines are put in place um, and are adhered to but the, the ownership as well is on the employee that they're calling each other out as well if someone is is contacting them outside of office hours that that's unacceptable um, behavior and it's not in their their new policy that they've designed as a group and even Aoife I mean you know technology is so fabulous when it works but then when it doesn't <laughs> work it causes us uh, an unmerciful amount of stress and you can even see it's not even just people sitting at a computer in an office it's even you know people working in a supermarket and the checkout yeah. there's a problem with it and they're there chatting to you and trying to distract from the issue but they're trying to yeah. figure it out and you can see that they're getting really really stressed out. Yeah, completely it's not just um, what we say people sitting at a desk that type yeah. that type of worker as well and then it can bleed into your your personal life so like even just personal usage of technology um outside of work can it, what i would say to people is if if uh, if your technology usage is not making you feel good mm-hmm. so if you're engaged in social media scrolling and it feels mindless like you feel guilty about it or um you're not liking what you see in your feed um, then I would say um, just to think about what what habits they want to specifically break um, in relation to their technology usage and why do they specifically want to break that. So to really connect in with why they want to break it, like is it to form better relationships? Is, is their technology usage hampering their productivity? Is there a hobby that they're not engaging in because they're just scrolling mindlessly um, or engaging in habits that are not productive? So think about the why. Why do you want to? Why do you want to break those habits? And then you can develop your strategy around it. Um, and there's lots of stuff online around, um, you know, removing apps and making making it easy for you to not engage in the the negative technology habits that's causing you angst. Because you know, as I said, technology can be fabulous and it's such a massive part mm. of our lives. And you know, okay, we could be on the computer for eight hours a day, but then it might relax us to be at home and scrolling for an hour on social media um but it's like it's so how do you know that it's stressing you out yeah it's i just would say to people just to be aware of how you're feeling when you're using technology and and how you're feeling when you hear that ping Mm. uh you know the, the the email notification or whatever it is or do you feel stressed by feeling like you have to reply um when you're trying to spend time with family so i would say first of all become aware of how technology is making you feel um, and then think about what what do I want to do instead of that mm. so is there something that I'm saying I don't have enough time for like I always want to read more or I want to go for more walks so if you're spending a half an hour in the morning before you get out of bed scrolling through your email is that a good use of your time or would you prefer to be going for the walk um, and so just to, for people to check in with how is it making you feel but like you said Fiona some people might want to have a decompress half an hour in the mm. evening, you know, to just scroll through social media and it gives them that bit of a respite um, from work. So it's about your usage being intentional as well. If I say, I know that this is going to bring me a bit of joy, just having a half an hour mindless scroll, I just need to decompress after work or whatever it is, then that's intentional usage. 
but state that to yourself and say, I'm going to spend half an hour and then I'm going to get on to the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but it's about having intention, I think, Fiona, with your usage helps as well. Aoife, just coming back to the workplace and how, you know, your use of technology in the workplace can stress you out. What do you do if you're trying to do something at work and you suddenly find a new interface or an update and you're lost? Yeah, um, so what I would say is keep an open dialogue with your your leader. Um, so with your your direct line manager and as well, for leaders within the organization to make sure that they're checking in and they're doing regular check-ins. We're all used to this world of remote working, Mm. um, but we're now moving into a hybrid, more of a hybrid model, a lot of organizations, but it's still very important that managers are checking in on their their team members to really ask them how they're doing and how they're managing and to maintain that open dialogue where the the employee feels like they can trust their manager and they can share with them and say look uh, there's a new update here I'm really it's it's causing me a lot of stress and um what, what how can you help me but as well for the for the ownership to be on the employee to be taking that to their manager mm-hmm. as well as the manager doing the check-ins as well Aoife, um, I know you've written about this, um, about techno stress, but you do also do workshops for companies. Yeah. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to do something like that? And what do you do with the workshops? Is it more for the managers themselves or is it more for the employees? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, people can get in touch um, through my website. So my website is www.donovanlee.world. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm very um, active on LinkedIn. So it's Aoife Donovan Lee on LinkedIn. But yeah, the workshops are actually a blend of both, Fiona. So I tackle the, the organization challenge. So I give recommendations around what organizations can do based on my own research. Mm. Um, and I also talk to the individual. So I help them to identify the habits that are negatively impacting their results um, through their personal or the professional lives. And then I give them a formula for breaking that habit down um, and it's so that it no longer causes them stress. So I tackle both in the workshops. Okay. Yeah, because I suppose it's difficult for managers to have a program in place because every department probably uses different applications yeah. and different programs. Yeah, completely. What a one size fits all approach to your technology usage guidelines doesn't work for every organization. So I suggest to those organizations to develop those policies around a, a like on a team by team basis. Mm. So work so leaders work with their individual team to develop a team charter um, on what suits us as a team. How should we be able to contact each other and when and what's acceptable and unacceptable um, in relation to our technology use and develop a a sort of a mission statement as a team? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable and make it comfortable for people to hold one another accountable as well? So when they Mm. see someone falling outside of the guidelines, make it okay to call it out to one another and hold each other accountable. Brilliant. Aoife, give me that email address there again. It was Donovan Lee. Dot is that right? Yeah, so uh, the website address is donovanlee.world um, and my email address is aoife at donovanlee.world. So if anybody wants you to come and give a workshop in their workplace, they can just send you an email. 
Absolutely, I'd be delighted to. I've okay. worked with a lot of organizations over the last couple of years, as you can imagine. Aoife, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That was great. That's Aoife Donovan-Lee. She's a coaching psychologist. Um, and if anybody wants to get involved or have Aoife come and talk to them, they can email her, Aoife Donovan-Lee. At, um, are you still there, Aoife? Sorry, Aoife Donovan-Lee. Here, yeah. What was your website? It's Aoife at donovanlee.world. Aoife at donovanlee.world. Lovely. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Aoife. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. Fiona in for PJ this morning and um, if you want to get in touch with us on anything that we've been talking about the number of courses 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie Now before the break we were talking to Aoife Donovan-Lee about techno stress and how we can reduce the amount of stress from technology in our lives and um, joining me now is uh, EFT Emotional Freedom Techniques Energy Healer, Ger O'Brien. Good morning, Ger. Good morning, Fiona. How are you this morning? I'm in great form, thank you very much. Good, good. Now, Ger, we were talking to Aoife there about um, how, you know, the different skill sets and passwords and apps and gadgets and networks and how that can all impact on our stress levels. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's so much going on in the world that can stress us out. And, you know, how do we deal with all of this stress in our lives? Well, I guess the first thing is, again, is to be aware of your feelings, be aware of your emotions, get in touch with them and accept what's going on. Offer no resistance to what's going on in the world because it's futile in the first place. So you look after your own mental and emotional health is what is of paramount importance mm. and be inclined to focus on what you want, not on what you don't want, based on the premise that energy follows thought. So most people focus on what they don't want and that creates a myriad of complications within the emotional, physical and mental states in in one's self. So my advice would be to focus on what you want and just to take control of what you can. And um, like there's a a, a quote I normally use, and it goes like this, take care of what I can. Oh, hello, Ger? Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry, we lost you there. What were you saying? Where did you lose me at? (laughs) (laughs) We just lost the last three or four words of that sentence. Um, okay, it was it, like it's just a quote I would use. I would normally say to my mm-hmm. clients that uh, I choose to take care of what I can and leave behind what I can't. Lovely. And Ger, you know, you spoke there about being aware of your feelings and it's something that Aoife spoke about as well. But what if we're so stressed out and we're so busy with everything that's going on between, you know, the technology and the war and life and, you know, that we're not even in tune with how we're feeling? Yeah, look, it's a very good question, but you must delve in and take full responsibility for how you are feeling because you're the one that's put yourself into that state in the first place, albeit at an unconscious level. But when you come to the conscious awareness that you have put yourself into that state, well, then you can start to take yourself out of it. And how do we take ourselves out of it? Well, there's lots of different ways. Um, Number one, I would suggest to use EFT on yourself for obvious reasons. Tapping techniques that will distress you straight away. Uh, Clean up your diet. uh, Practice gratitude. Stop people-pleasing. Practice deep breathing. Meditate. Um, I normally recommend frequencies to my clients 
for those that find it difficult to meditate traditionally they can just put on the headphones and put on calming music and frequencies for instance so that would make a massive difference as well you mentioned there about cleaning up your diet and you know taking time out to meditate and go for walks and things but like do you know when you're in this whole cycle of you know particularly when you're working and you've got a family and you know there's so much going on and sometimes it's not so easy to maybe make out a healthy meal plan and you'll just go for the convenience food that you can just throw in the microwave because it's just easy mm. so like what kind of advice would you give to people who are in that kind of state at the minute again that state I w- firstly I would say take full responsibility take full responsibility because you have put yourself into that state. Like, there's no excuses. And, you know, you, you could repeat this quote I also use, and that is, if I always do what I've always done, I will always get what I've always gotten. So it's entirely up to you if you want to make that conscious decision to make that choice to start off your day, every single day, with a complete and utter different attitude and to discipline yourself and again, take full responsibility because you're the one that's creating how you're feeling no matter what's going on in the world or what's going on in your mm-hmm. life. You either step up to the plate, you start to make changes in your life, or you just carry on doing the same thing where nothing changes. You mentioned there about people pleasing, and I think just by some people's nature that they just want to make sure that the people around them are happy and that they don't want, you know, if if people around them are feeling down, that that they're going to, you know, take in that energy and feel down themselves. So in order for them to feel happy in themselves, they're going to try and make people around them happy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you know what I'm getting at? So, um, you know, like what kind of... um, you know, like how stressful is that then on a person if they're constantly trying to please people? Yeah, well, it is. It is very stressful because you know, again, they're, they're, it's the same pattern. It's become habitual. I mean, it could go back to childhood. Something that they're holding on to that they're people pleasing. Mm. There could be some emotional content or energy blocks that's preventing them from from being themselves and not having to people please. Mm. And like, would you? Um, you know what? Have you seen a uh, noticeable increase in the amount of people who are coming to you with um, stress and trying to deal with stress? Like, are we now in a world where we're there's way more stress and that we're putting more stress on ourselves? Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. We are putting more stress on ourselves. Mm. When you break that all down into an individual basis, we're responsible for how we feel, what emotions we're holding on to, how we dictate our lives, how we go through life on a daily basis. We're creating all this ourselves at the end of the day. And why do we do that to ourselves, Ger? <laughs> why? Yeah. Um, a lot of, lot of fear-based thoughts that we hold on to, a lot of self-doubt creates a lot of overwhelm, a lot of fear. Fear, for instance, is held in the kidneys or the bladder, anxiety, mm. a lot of anxious people. Um, that's the number one today that I deal with is, is anxiety, and anxiety is held in the stomach or the spleen. And a lot of people don't realise that that's, we hold on to these trapped emotions within, ter- in, within our internal organ system. Mm. And if they're not dealt with, if un, un, unresolved specific events and emotional content from traumas from the past or depressive state are not dealt with at an energetic level, it's going to be detrimental to one's internal organ system and one's physical, mental and emotional health. So as I said, Anxiety is held in the stomach or the spleen. And I think you'll agree, Fiona, you know exactly when you're feeling anxious because mm. you feel it in your gut. Mm. You feel it in your gut. 
And one thing I would recommend to the listeners that anybody that does feel anxious, again, is just introduce probiotics into the diet. Yeah. They, will make a, they will make a massive difference because you have what's called the gut brain axis. And when you introduce friendly bacteria into the gut, it will also help the emotional state. And actually, it's interesting, we were speaking there a while ago to Amy Kelly about IBD and how, you know, stress can affect your gut health as well. And, and you're you're raising the topic again here. And it's just, um, you know, I think you, you mentioned there about fear. And is there a fear in people of failure as well? I mean, is there this whole pressure that we put on ourselves now that we have to be successful in our career, that we have to be a successful parent, that we have to be like, you know, the best friend that anyone can have. We have to be... You know, maintaining a certain level of fitness that there's just this constant like fear of failure if we don't hit all these markings in our life. Absolutely, I mean, fear is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. But what again? What I would say is, you know, just surrender and let go and, and be open to change and, and stop putting yourself under pressure. If there's young mothers out there, if there's business people, athletes, whatever, just a normal mm. person, you must realize that you are actually doing this to yourself. Nobody else. There's nobody else putting you into these states of fear-based thoughts and feelings and, and toxic emotions that you're creating yourself on a daily basis. Mm. You've got to take full responsibility. Yes, there is a, a massive um, issue with fear of failure and everything else that goes with fear. But the only thing we have to fear is facing our own feelings, Fiona. Once we get over that hurdle and we actually start to face them head-on, deal with them at an emotional level and start to release them, it is life-changing. What about if your boss has demands on you or your, your child is putting you under stress with their tantrums? Do you know, this is all part of, um, you know, our, our, our daily life. I mean, and if, if say if your boss is putting a certain amount of demands on you, um, but you don't have the confidence to go and speak up for yourself, like that's obviously going to cause you a huge amount of internal stress then as well. Yeah, it is. And therefore that's when and why you should work on yourself, on your self-worth and your self-belief. And, you know, when people come to see me, I instill that in them. I, I help them to instill it in themselves, that self-belief and that worthiness because... In a lot of cases, when you're dealing with, with bosses, for instance, and uh, they, they may, you may feel that they might be putting you down, they're not being fair with you, is, um, is the time to, when, when you are aware of that, then you realise that you're not strong enough and you're lacking confidence. Mm. So therefore, then you need to work on it. And you need to affirm to yourself on a daily basis until you start believing it, that I am good enough. I am good enough and I'm worthy of only the best in my life. And keep affirming all this positivity. And the more repetitive you are with your self-affirmation statements, mm. you will become it. Yeah, because sometimes the thought, like if it's not in your nature to go and approach somebody if you have an issue with them, the idea of doing that just stresses you out even more, doesn't it? It does. All the more reason to work on yourself. Yeah. Once you come to that realisation and then maybe try and find out why you're actually feeling like this. And in a lot of cases, Fiona, it goes right back Many, many years, something could have been said to you when you were younger, something could have been done to you that made you feel that you weren't good enough, there was a lack of confidence, and then those thoughts, those feelings and emotions were so ingrained within your subconscious mind that they became habitual, and before you know it, you became the negative aspect of what you felt at that time. 
Ger, we just have a comment in here. Oh, wow, Ger O'Brien is absolutely great. Took my 14-year-old son to him with anxiety and he has helped me so much. Thank you, Ger. Um, if if people do want to contact you, Ger, um, you know, how can they do that? Um, my website is uh, com. My email address is gerobryan at gmail.com and um, you can get me on my handle on Instagram at Cork. And somebody else wanted to know there, Ger, if you have a child who um, is prone to tantrums and they're stressing you out, I mean, obviously you're trying to build yourself up to talk to your boss, but how do you deal then with the stress that your child is causing you? Okay. Um, in one case, I would look at the environment. That's one of the things I'd look at, mm. of the home. Um, where the child is sleeping, what the room is like, um, how old is the child, what's the dynamics in the house like. Is there both parents there? Are parents getting on well? Mm. Um, there's a lot of different factors why a child could be acting up. Is the child being loved? Is the child being nurtured? Is the child being guided? Is the child being understood? Is the child being listened to? There's lots of different questions you can ask why the child might be throwing up a tantrum. Okay, brilliant, Chair. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. That was really, really interesting. And um, if anybody does want to get in touch with you again, what's your contact details there? It's www.jorobrain.com. My email is jorobrain at gmail.com and my handle on Instagram is at jorobrain. At Gerald Bryan. At Gerald Bryan Cork, sorry. At Gerald Bryan Cork. And your Instagram, you have loads of different um, tips for people and loads of little different reels yeah. and videos and stuff like yeah. that as well that people can I have, follow. I have lots of, uh, lots of videos up there with some of the tapping techniques that I use. And um, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. And uh, thank you very much for having me on, Fiona. Brilliant. Really Pleasure. It. No hassle at all. Enjoy the rest of your day. That was Gerald Bryan, Emotional Freedom Techniques Energy Healer. Loving that track. It's Honey Honey by Sophie Doyle Ryder. She is a teenager from Dublin, rising star here in Ireland, and she's also going to be playing at Independence this year in Mitchellstown. And she joins me on the line. Good morning, Sophie. Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm just, I'm loving that track, Sophie. It's absolutely amazing. And um, I'm sure there are so many people here in Cork who are really looking forward to going to see you at Independence. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to play. <laughs> you have been described as the Irish Rihanna. How does that feel? <laughs> oh, it just feels a bit like, what the hell? <laughs> it's a bit like, wow, you know. Um, it's an honour, to be honest. I obviously love Rihanna and I grew up listening to a lot of her music because I have an older sister who loves her as well. So yeah. it's it's really lovely. And like not only Rihanna, but you've also been compared to the likes of Ariana Grande and Anne-Marie. Are they the kind of people that would um, inspire you when you're writing your songs? Definitely. I'm actually, I'm writing a song today and I was just listening to some Ariana Grande and thinking like, oh, well, I do. I love this lyric. Like, I'd love to have that in my song. And, you know, so, yeah, they definitely inspire me. And you were recently signed up with Paradigm Agency and they also work with uh, Billie Eilish. So, I mean, like, you're you're a big name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really exciting and, like, everything is moving quite quickly. But at the same time, it feels like everything's going so slow because I've been doing this for a few years, like, but... Yeah, yeah, but you really, say really you've been great. doing this for a few years, but you're you're only seventeen. <laughs> no, sure, I'm nineteen now. Oh, you're nineteen now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I started when I was seventeen. You started when you were seventeen. Yeah. And where did um like have you always had? Mu- has there been music in your family? When did you discover that you had this talent? 
Um, so I loved going obviously on family holidays when I was younger and my dad and my mom loved doing karaoke and I just started doing it myself and I just ended up singing like I don't know an entire Adele album in one night and I just loved it it was so fun like and I love singing with my dad as well he was always really musical and when did you start writing your own stuff um my parents got separated when I was like eight and then when I was like 12 I actually started like feeling the effects so yeah I actually I wrote a song about um the divorce from my dad's perspective when I was like 12 and like it wasn't good like but it was it was a song like you know it was the first song I ever wrote it's called love and devotion and it's still in the first page on my first songbook. and did you find that you know they're big emotions to be dealing with so did you find that by writing them down on paper that it helped you to come to a realization and an understanding in your own head of what was happening in your life yeah definitely it's always been like a form of like like writing anything down even manifesting stuff like I just love getting everything out there and like it's problem half does a problem shared even if it's on a piece of paper you know and then you you hit the big time when you were 17 and it's been going well <laughs> for you now for the last two years like is it everything that you hoped for like does it have an impact on your life when you're a teenager in terms of you know how you go about socializing you know are you able to go out and hang out with your friends or are you constantly working um I love to I'm all about balance like so mm. I love to go out with my friends like and I just I find it hard sometimes to balance it out but if I didn't go out with my friends I wouldn't have all these stories to write about you know <laughs> so I just feel it's I'm always like no I'm going out with the girls tonight sorry I'll do that tomorrow you know and like I just I think it's really important to know you know, have days off and nights off and like where you can just forget about things like so I- yeah your new single is out uh, last month, February 9th, uh, Don't Want No Boyfriend. So is that um, drawing on your own personal experiences as well? Yeah, I feel I wrote it in a time I'd just broken up with somebody and then I had another person who was like, oh, I'd love to go on a date with you. And I was like, oh, no, don't want no boyfriend, please. No, thank you. Um, so that's actually what I wrote it about, which is um, a bit funny now to look back on. But yeah, it, it, it definitely reflected on my own personal experience, yeah. And so you're, we mentioned there that you're playing at Independence and that's later this summer and it's fantastic, no doubt, that um, we have gigs back again and that you're able to go back out again and start performing. Yeah, no, it's my, that's the only reason I sing really. I love mm. performing, like it's my number one and it's why I write songs and it's just the best part of having this whole career. But like, uh, I'm so excited to play Independence. It's an honour, like, and I'm playing Forbidden Fruit as well in Dublin, which is like insane. It's just crazy. Um, but it's been a dream, so I'm really excited. And have you had much of an opportunity to play at festivals? Because, I mean, everything has been shut down for the last two years. So, like, is this your first kind of festival outing or your first festival tours? Yeah, I feel like the only thing I did in summer last year was just, like, online festivals and, like, live streaming. And I'm like, mm. do you really consider them festivals, you know? Um, but, yeah, like, it's it's my first time and I'm really excited about it, you know. It's, you know, it's a great, like, it's two great festivals for my first two, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and for anybody who hasn't seen you live, I mean, what can they expect from your show? Um, expect a lot of singing, obviously, mm. um, and a lot of unreleased tracks. I love to sing a few unreleased tracks when I'm performing live because I feel like everybody deserves a little extra song. Um. <laughs> But yeah, definitely expect fun and expect dancing and expect nice music. 
Fantastic. And, you know, myself and Wayne were just saying here, like, we really, really love that track, Honey, Honey. So um, I'm sure your fan base is growing by the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best to make it, yeah. <laughs> I am, because, I mean, like, I'm sure there are a lot of teenagers who are inspired by you, but, like, you know, us old fogies here are loving you right now as well. <laughs> oh, well, I actually, I was looking at my Spotify the other day and there's very few people who are, like, under 18 and my age who actually listen to my music on Spotify. So Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was shocked by it myself. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe I'm targeting the wrong audience. <laughs> Hey, listen, Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. It was absolutely lovely to talk to you on the Opinion Line this morning. And best of luck with um, the album and the single and with uh, the festivals this summer as well. Do you have any other gigs that you're playing? Um, as of right now, hopefully I'll have one in London soon, very soon. Okay, fabulous. Well, best of luck with everything. That was Sophie Doyle Ryder joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Okay, care with a difference. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Courts 96FM. Premier League Live is back this Saturday on 96FM.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by Talk Sport. We'll bring you live coverage of Leicester City v Leeds United at 12.30, Newcastle v Brighton at 3 and Liverpool take on West Ham United at 5.30pm. The Premier League Live online with now stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with a now Sports Extra membership. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM now, um, the Tremor Valley Park has become a popular place for people who want to go for walks and skateboarding. And now the Kinship Project is looking for people to enter a competition to design an eco lab. And joining me now with more on this is artist Sean Taylor. Good morning, Sean. Good morning to you. Sean, what exactly are you guys hoping to develop at the Tremor Valley Park? Well, um, we have a, a whole series of rolling uh, events and, and uh, exhibitions and um, uh, interventions in the park as part of the overall ethos of, of the project, which is to kind of raise awareness about uh, the effects of climate change um, on our lives. And as part of this, one of the one of the elements that we're we're, we're now putting out a public call for is uh, a competition to design an experimental structure uh, or shelter in Tremor Valley Park. And um, so this will be uh, hopefully an experimental and, and innovative temporary structure of architectural importance for mm. the park that people can use on the on a daily basis. So when you say shelter, what do you mean? Is it like a, 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 a hut type thing? Well, again, this will be up to the uh, the people who enter the competition. So we're, we're putting out a kind of a, both a national and an international call to architects, artists, designers, eco-builders, craftspeople from from all over the world, really, to uh, answer the brief and to, to kind of, uh, in the hopefully, wow us with their, uh, with their inventions. And it, the focus of the development, it has to be eco-friendly and cost-effective building techniques. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We have a, uh, we have a modest budget and uh, it has to comply to those uh, uh, conditions. And, of course, we're looking for, um, we're looking for evidence of... Um, the use of ecological materials and ecological building processes. This is quite important to the ethos of the whole project in general and, and to kind of move us away from this um, or throw away culture mm. and you know, hopefully alter our thinking about the relationship we have with 
the wider community of life in the park. So we're hoping that, that this shelter or, or structure or whatever you want to call it will kind of address those issues. And that's what we're looking for when in, in, the, in the brief. So if people think that they have a design that would be fit for this, what do they do? How do they get in touch with you? How does the competition run? Well, it's a two-stage process and there's a kind of a, what we call a pre-qualifying stage. So that's the, the first stage. It's a call for interest in the competition. And then we're looking for submissions with a proven track record uh, that will be required from all of the entrants, regardless of what their skills level are or where they're coming from. And they, they have to show experience in designing and building architectural structures, again, with uh, the use of ecological material and, and processes. And then... Uh, they also need to show kind of evidence of team personnel with skills for the design management and the safe construction of the Ecolab. So that, the deadline for that is uh, 12 p.m. on the 29th of March. And then we will move then to a jury uh, selection, um, a shortlisting of that. And those people who are shortlisted for the next stage, stage two, will, will enter into a dialogue with the jury and ourselves uh, in, in, in June. Uh, and then, and then, hopefully, a winning entry will emerge from that uh, through a jury process, which will be announced then probably at the end of June. And Sean, just yourself and Marilyn Lennon have been working with Cork City Council on the Kinship Project at the Tremor Valley Park. How has that been received by the public? So far, it's been received extremely well. We're really heartened. Um, we just started the first series of our public events uh, last weekend with a fantastic response. But in general, there seems to be um, just a, an overwhelming um, positive response to what we're trying to do uh, in the park, um, not just from the public, but also from our partners. And uh, it's it's very exciting. It, it's, it, it really is um Probably the most exciting project uh, Marilyn and myself have been involved in today uh, with, with great buy-in from the public. Fantastic. And people um, can go and see it at the Tremor Valley Park? Indeed they can. Indeed they can. And, uh, you know, you, for people who, who are interested in taking part in the competition, they can go directly to the Kinship website or they can also uh, email us um, uh, specifically at... Um, at kinshipapplications at gmail.com if they're specifically interested in the Kinship Ecolab open call. Uh, and then obviously you can follow us on social media as well for all of the other events that will be coming up over the course of the year. And Sean, finally, you're hoping that you get a response from like not just here in Cork, but from people all over the world. Indeed, indeed. We're throwing it out there for everybody to participate and we're quite excited to see what will come back. I know, indeed. So am I. Okay, listen, Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Um, And we hope that people will enter that competition and take place with um, or get involved in that. Uh, Just before I go, I just wanted to mention, um, we were contacted uh, in relation to this story um, by Sarah. She lives in Dunmanway in West Cork. She needs to change her 2009 car that's not suitable anymore for her independence because she's wheelchair bound. She needs a ramped car that is adapted for her needs. There hasn't always been someone on hand to help her in her current car and public transport. There is a GoFundMe for this and if anybody wants to help Sarah, they can find the GoFundMe on uh, it's uh, apologies, I just need to find it there. It's by Sarah by wheelchair chair adapted car 
on GoFundMe. Um, and it's because, yeah, help Sarah buy wheelchair adapted car. It's on GoFundMe and any donations will be greatly appreciated uh, by Sarah. Um, she was on the show several times on disability rights. People might remember her. She has been very vocal on disability rights right around the city. So maybe people would like to uh, support her and sponsor her on that. Um, and just a reminder as well, we spoke earlier on to Therese Kelly. She was kind Armstrong's aunt and she was speaking about the family who are looking for a home. If anybody would have somewhere for them to rent you can let us know. You can maybe email us at opinion at 96fm.ie Thank you very much to everyone who joined me on the show today and to everyone who commented and big thanks to my team here with Wayne Fergal and Katie. PJ will be back tomorrow. Um, Enjoy the rest of your day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.